Hey, everybody. Welcome to our virtual edition of Outspoken. Hey, David. Hey, Kim. Hey, everybody. Hey, girls, boys, and folks beyond the binary like me. Welcome back to On the Mic, Outspoken LGBTQ Storytelling. I'm Devlin Camp. Once a month, people from all over Chicago gather at Sidetrack, one of the city's longest-running gay bars, to hear stories told live by LGBTQ people. But this past year, we've been telling stories on Zoom. Yeah, I'm you, Phyllis. Okay. And, like, every one of you still showed up every month. The Zoom shows were huge. But in case you missed it, here are some fantastic highlights from our year on Zoom. Janet Ann told us about her experience in the very last police raid of a gay bar in Chicago in the 1970s. Our show's curator, Archie Jamjun, shares some hellish stories from when he was a server. Um, can everyone hear me? Do this. Can you, we're good? Okay. And Ray Christian tells a story that, I swear, if he told this live at the bar, you would have heard a pin drop. Everyone on that Zoom window was locked in on this story. Jaws dropped. It was such a great story. And since all of you in that Zoom were giving the ASL sign for applause so enthusiastically every month, I'm going to use some applause from our past shows in today's episode. Come join us live in person back at Sidetrack on the first Tuesday of every month. It's happening. Life is happening again. See you at Sidetrack. Getting myself off a mute was... (laughs) Each storyteller at Outspoken speaks from their unique perspective, and their views do not represent those of other speakers, the hosts, Outspoken, or Sidetrack. And if you're enjoying the show while you're listening, hop on to Apple Podcasts to give us a rating or a little review to boost the show to some new listeners. Thank you. Janet Ann is retired, 62 years old, Irish Catholic, southwest side of Chicago, born and raised lesbian, and behind the scenes, a worker uh, for change in Chicago on various fronts, and still looking to get the ERA ratified to guarantee equal pay and equal benefits. Please give a warm welcome to Janet Ann. Hi, everybody. It's good to see you. I have to pull up my script. September 12th, 1985. Little known fact, the day after my 28th birthday, I was dancing in a boys bar when it was raided. Yeah, I know. What was I doing in a boys bar dancing? I don't really know. Maybe it was a friend's invitation for drinks, or possibly I still needed to get some birthday yayas out of my system. I had taken the day off work and had a few cocktails at the Ladybug on Halstead in Lakeview. There was no boys town that long ago. The Ladybug was a lesbian bar I frequented as the starting point for after work socializing. You had to get buzzed into that bar. They looked through the window, and if you didn't look female enough, they said, go away, basically. But they let me in all the time. I still really don't know why I decided to not take the Halstead bus south, but the Clark Street bus got me to North Avenue, and I got off, walked over to Wells Street, and decided maybe I would have dinner with Mama, the owner of the Golden Dragon, the Chinese restaurant there on Well Street. Well, she was busy making orders and there was nobody upstairs to play pool with in the bar. So I just decided to go south on Wells. And of course, 
the incense emanating from Bazaar Bazaar pulled me in by the nose. And truly, the next thing I remember was dancing at Carol's Speakeasy. So what was I doing in a boys bar, drinking and dancing? Back in the day, and still today, I was an anomaly in the bar scene. A lesbian that wasn't a fag hag that partied with gay men in their bars. Bars were fairly segregated between gay and lesbian slash boys bars and girls bars. Yes, a few bars were mixed. The closet, his and hers, welcomed all sexual brands. I was often disparaged for being out of place by some of the boys, but I always went to men's bars when I knew the bartender on duty or friends had asked me to meet them for a party or a drink, or I knew the owner. Dancing on the stage with a few of my friends and drag queens, a commotion started with shouts of, Raid! Pigs are coming! Everybody out! Music stopped, lights came up, people were scrambling to leave. Chaos. I didn't jump off the stage. I walked to the end of the stage where the stairs were and was met at the bottom by two cops yelling at everyone to produce ID. Some of Chicago's finest, believe me. I said that my purse was behind the bar with my driver's license. Yeah, sure, bitch, one officer snarled. They don't let you queens put your bag behind the bar. I calmly corrected him. I am not a drag queen and the bartender is my friend. My purse is behind the bar. The officer walked me over to the bar muttering about these damn he she's and queers dancing together. I was indignant about the treatment of my friends by the police. My mother's father and two of her brothers were police officers and I had heard stories about bad police, but I had never seen bad policing. The city of Chicago had, and still enforces, an ordinance that individuals must carry a valid ID and three dollars, or they could, be de they could be deemed a vagrant and jailed. I knew I was legal, because I had ID and cash. Also, I had not violated the same sex dancing law that the state of Illinois enforced during bar raids. Not so fun fact. Patrons ensnared in bar raids had their names and occupation printed in newspaper articles. And if you were a teacher or religious, you lost your job, you lost your home, you generally lost your family. It was an ugly thing to do. And mostly the raids were carried out uh, during election times, needless to say, so that somebody running for sheriff or mayor or alderman could point to the bar raid and say, see, I got the perverts off the street, cleaning up Chicago, keeping it safe for good citizens. When I asked for my purse, Mother Carol, the owner, handed it to me and told the cop to shut up and that they had made a mistake raiding me. 
My police escort started swearing as soon as I handed him my license. Bitch, what is wrong with you? Why are you here? I told him I was a lesbian dancing with my He told me to start walking to the door. The bar was fairly empty and quiet. When we approached the exit, he started yelling to the other officers, this bitch is an actual female, we gotta let her go. There's something wrong with her, she's a crazy. I was part of the last bar raid in Chicago. The last gay bar raid of all bar raids in Chicago. Ironic fact. There are no more lesbian bars in operation in Chicago. I mourn the loss of these spaces where women could safely gather. Thank you very much for listening. And everybody stay healthy, please. Thank you, Janet Ann. Uh, wow, we really, really appreciate that glimpse into LGBTQ life before we have been able to obtain some of the rights that we have now. Archie Jamjohn is our first storyteller. He is the curator of Outspoken and a two-time winner of the Moth Grand Slam. He has told stories all, all over the world and in 2019 wrote and produced his first solo show, A Boy and a Diva. He recently worked as a storytelling coach for Pride Action Tank Storytelling for Change, stories from the first out generation. And his story, Pretty, was published by Barrel House in 2019. This January, he will premiere his storytelling and variety show, I Love Everything, with three exclamation points. <laughs> the Lifeline Theater's virtual storytelling festival, Filet of Solo. Please welcome Archie Jamjan. Hi, everyone. Um, I wanted to dedicate this story to all the hospitality workers that are going through all the things this year. It's been a really difficult one. I'm in that industry, so this one is for all of y'all, for sure. I've been a server for almost 20 years. I'm in danger of becoming what we in the industry call a lifer. But I am definitely what my mother calls me, a food prostitute. In a sense, that's true. As a server, I sometimes ask myself, am I too old for this? And I think only sex workers and athletes ponder that as much. Sometimes when I'm tying the strings to my server apron, I'm reminded of a quote by author Sherman Alexie. The world is divided by two tribes, the people who are assholes and the people who are not. Now, most people I meet are absolutely lovely, but over my years of serving, I, like a top strolling through Steamworks, have had to learn how to navigate a room filled with hungry assholes. I smile and laugh a lot, often with the sincerity of blinking. I try to look assertive, but also like a grown-ass man who will cry if you're mean to me. In my server book, I keep a picture of an adorable puppy. And this puppy asks, want to have a threesome? And I stare at it for comic relief when people go on and on about their keto diets and their self-induced gluten allergies. But every job has those moments. Every job requires you to deal with assholes. I am accustomed to coddling the hangry and being patient with people who think that menus are just a blueprint for their own creativity. 
I understand that some people don't understand the infuriating irony of going to a restaurant, turning to your server and saying, I already ate. But sometimes people still surprise me. It was a lunch rush, summer 2016. I walked over to a two-top, and before I could even greet them, I heard, you know, you are very tall for a Chinese person. She was a redheaded woman from a place with few to no Asian people. Oh, like, I'm not even Chinese. <laughs> yes, but admit it, you are tall for a Chinese person. I love this anecdote because she's so wrong, but she's just a little bit right. At five foot eight, I actually am two inches taller than the average Chinese man. I Googled this and I do tower over my family. However, we're from Thailand, which is not the same as China, which is not the same as Asia. Facts I'm sure would have blown this woman's mind. But I know she didn't mean any harm and the laugh was all the moment really called for because especially at work, I do not always have the time to be the center for the understandments of Asian peoples. Also, whenever possible, I would rather laugh at you than get angry. It isn't always possible. Dinner, spring 2017. There is cheese on my burger and I'm lactose intolerant. He was a silver coyote in a, in a business suit at a round table with five others. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I can get you another burger in just a few minutes. I don't care if you're sorry. I don't care if you crawl across this floor and beg me my forgiveness. You people never understand what I'm saying. You people have ruined everything. His tie was loose and I wondered what a nice noose it might make. For the record, you people is a term you should check your skin color and surroundings before using. I admit I fucked up this man's order. I admit that when he said no cheese, I heard cheddar please. Because when you're a belligerent businessman who orders a $15 hamburger instead of a $60 steak like your friends and your boss is paying, we just don't speak the same language, sir. I can't, however, admit to knowing how many brown people have ruined his orders before or what everything we have ruined. Quite honestly, I don't even know what he meant by you people. Have that many Asian people really tried to feed him cheese? Or was it my gay fabulousness that he was referring to? Maybe he just meant servers. See, what they people don't understand about we people is that when we people get called you people, we have two seconds to decide whether you're a regular asshole or a racist asshole, whether I'm overreacting or if I need to show you that while I do not know Kung Fu, my mother sure did teach me crazy. Fight or flight. These are the moments when you want to prove that nothing is more important than your dignity. I wanted to smash that burger into his pasty ass face. But because steady paychecks are cute and no man will ever become, will ever come between me and a sale at TJ Maxx, I chose flight. I walked away while he was still having a tantrum, went to the kitchen to expedite a new burger and had a manager talked to him so I didn't have to. It wasn't nearly as satisfying as slamming ground beef into his face, but every job makes you swallow your pride. Every now and again, right? As I retold the story to my coworkers, I calmed down and we did what we always do to horrible people. 
We took turns walking by the table and farting. It's called crop dusting. But you know what would have been better? If the other people at the table, the people who whispered I'm sorry to me and left me a fat tip later, didn't just sit there while it happened. Maybe one of them could have said, hey, Jack, stop being an asshole over a hamburger. Or something even less flashy, like tapping him on the knee, looking him in the eyes and saying, bad white person, you're being a bad, bad white person. See, on the rare occasion people have screamed something like, you people at me, it suddenly feels like I'm in the twilight zone. But when it happens and no one else seems to notice, I'm like, hello, America, the twilight zone was canceled in 1964, the same year the Civil Rights Act was born. Why are we still here? I don't think the world is divided into assholes and others. Although I'll admit there are people who never seem to stop being an asshole. They're the ones who won't concede the election. I think most of us divide our lives into times of being an asshole and times of being something better. And as we enter this long winter of uncertainty, especially from my fellow servers, bartenders, barbacks, bussers, hosts, dishwashers, porters, and yes, even the managers, it's even more important that we are something better than an asshole especially to ourselves. Kindness is a muscle, and it's one you can work on even if you start drinking at 2 p.m. now. But when I find myself upset and starting to be an asshole to myself and others, I like to remember, remember why God made assholes, because when all else fails, it's best to focus on function. See, assholes are these tight, or formerly tight, holes filled with poo-poo. And though they are capable of much more, they only really need to do two things. Relax and let shit go. Thank you very much, everyone. Oh, Archie, thank you. You know at Outspoken, we always like to take a moment to remind you that queer and trans folks are not a new thing in this world. We've been here since the beginning of humanity. And yes, Janet Ann already shared some fabulous queer history with us at the top of the episode, but here's a little more. April 9th, 1987, Princess Diana went to the London Middlesex Hospital, where she had just opened the UK's first unit dedicated to treating people with HIV AIDS. The CDC had already told the public four years ago that it couldn't be transmitted by casual touch. And, you know, people nowadays will walk around in a pandemic with no mask on, but God forbid they shake hands with a queer person who has AIDS. Patients were still stigmatized and avoided then. In April of 87, Princess Diana brought photographers into the hospital to get pictures of her shaking hands with a man who had AIDS. The photo was printed on the front page of newspapers all over the world. Now, honey, that's an ally. Here she is speaking at the Children and AIDS Conference sponsored by the National AIDS Trust on April 22, 1991. HIV does not make people dangerous to know. So you can shake their hands and give them a hug. Heaven knows they need it. What's more, you can share their homes, their workplaces, their playgrounds, and their toys. We all need to be alert to the special needs of those for whom AIDS is the last straw in an already heavy burden of discrimination and misfortune. One nurse who witnessed the handshake said that if a royal was allowed to shake hands with... One nurse who witnessed the handshake said that if a royal was allowed to shake hands with an AIDS patient, anyone could. 
The People's Princess was the first British royal to make contact with AIDS patients. Queen Elizabeth said she would like to see Diana get involved in, quote, something more pleasant. Diana went on to fund many other facilities and charities, helping people throughout the UK and South Africa. So, bringing us on home tonight, our last storyteller is Ray Christian. Ray is a retired Army paratrooper, combat veteran, doctor of education, Fulbright specialist, expert in education and storytelling narrative, and former adjunct professor teaching African American history and storytelling at Appalachian State University. There's just one long list of commas in Ray's bio. There's so wow, so much happening here. His stories have appeared in Reader's Digest 2016 Best Stories in America and 2017 American Heroes Editions. As a competitive storyteller, Ray is a 12-time Moth Story Slam champion and winner of the 2016 National Storytelling Festival Story Slam. His stories have been featured on the Moth Radio Hour, Snap Judgment, Backstory Radio, Spooked, Story Collider, and Risk. Ray resides in the remote mountains of Watauga County, North Carolina, and he hosts and produces the podcast, What's Ray Saying? We're very fortunate that he can work in some time to be here with us today. Oh, Ray, welcome mercy. to the stage. <laughs> Man, thank you for having me, city folk. Lord have mercy. Good gracious. I would tell you, can I trust you with my secrets? Can you trust me with yours? Is the measure of friendship. And that was no more so the case than when I was in the Army, especially when I was serving as a drill sergeant. And we spent a lot of long, hard hours working. And my partner was a woman. Now, bear in mind that that's rare in of itself. There are not a lot of female drill sergeants in the Army, and they weren't during the 1980s. And we got really, really close. We had a lot in common. We spent a lot of time together working through problems, trying to get through training. And always we spent a lot of time drinking a lot of beer, decompressing, talking about stuff, worries, our concerns, issues that she would have but every once in a while she was always kind of hesitant about certain issues that she was having so i'm kind of drunk you know we had been drinking one night and i decided to drop on her you know you come to my place i never get to go to your place how come you never ask me to come over to your apartment uh, you think I'm going to do something? What's wrong with you? How come I don't ever get to come over to your house? You know, and I'm just joking. But I, I respect her privacy. And I know the kind of image that the, the female drill sergeant's got to maintain because, you know, they they seems like they got to be more professional than everybody else. So I, I kind of understand it, but I'm messing with her. This is my girl. This is my best friend. And I'm messing with her about it. And she says, Ray, I'm a lesbian. Now, me telling you this right now today, that's meaningless. That's like saying I'm a blonde. You know, I like chocolate. You know, I prefer cocoa over Pepsi. 
But in the 1980s military, before gays could serve openly in the military, before don't ask, don't tell, just the idea, the mere small suspicion that you might be gay was enough to have you either court-martial or even receive an administrative discharge. In fact, the photo montage that I saw in the opening of this show, every one of those photographs would have been sufficient to have somebody discharged. So what are people to do if you're gay and you want to be in the military? You want to make it your career. What do you do if that's the lifestyle for you? You hide. And you hide deeply. So my friend telling me this had major implications. But she trusted me. So I went over to her apartment to have some beers. And while we were over there having her beers, she started telling me about, you know, I have a couple of friends that you may or may not know. And they probably won't be very comfortable in your presence. So please just understand this. And it didn't take long before two of her friends knock at the door. Now, as soon as they come in, I recognize them as drill sergeants on the base. The first one who came in the door stopped dead in her tracks. The other one walked right into her. Both of them were just staring at me. They looked at my other friend and they said, one said, I need to talk to you in the back room. She goes in the back room, slams the door. I can hear through the door. Are you crazy? What the hell are you doing bringing him here? You could put us all at risk. What the fuck is wrong with you? Said, listen, he's my friend. He's my best friend. I trust him. Said, damn it, you better trust him. You're putting us all at risk. And I saw this happen four more times over the next month. And this is a story that all of us would repeat to each other over and over again as we became friends about how we all met. And I'm starting to meet women who are drill sergeants, who are gay, and this is their social club, their support group, they pals. This is their unit. And now I'm a part of it. And I get to hear the girls talk about their career aspirations and I get to hear them talk about their fears all the time. The fake marriages where the guy tries to blackmail them. The guys hitting on them all the time. Whether you blow them off immediately or you give them a little bit of attention to throw them off track. The guys who constantly in their damn business, hey, how come you, you ain't married? How come I never see you so-and-so? Now, many of the girls could always fall back on the fact that they were professional soldiers, okay? And anytime somebody would approach them in that way, they'd fall back on, I'm being a professional. And that only worked to a point. Remember what I said, that it didn't take a whole lot of evidence. All you needed was one asshole who couldn't mind his own damn business because you turned off his advances for him to say, well, damn, she must be gay. And that's all it took. So we had these conversations all the time. And one of the running gags with us was, uh, hey, Ray, why don't you go ahead and date each one of us? 
you know, think about what that would do to your reputation. I was going, yeah, that would, you know, that would kind of up my stock a little bit. You know, who's dating a, a female drill sergeant? You know, who, who, who gets the chance of they black, they white, you know? Yeah, it, it would up my game. And so we, we laughed about it. It was a running joke all the time. We did this all the time. Until uh, one Saturday night, we're drinking, and one of the girls was really, really upset. There was a guy in her unit that was putting some heavy weight pressure on her to go out to date and, and posing a lot of stupid-ass questions like, are you gay? Why, why you don't want to go out with me? What's up? Over, and she was really, really upset. Now, at work, she was ma- managing to maintain her control, you know, to be professional. But amongst us in the group, she was really having a damn hard time with it. And this was the typical hell that they went through. But for her, this was becoming pretty, pretty damn intense. We had seen other males and females get discharged and humiliated them. I had seen this. I witnessed it. We all had over time. So this running gag amongst us, one of the girls said, you know, maybe we should do that. We talked about it back and forth. And so we came up with this brilliant idea that I would go out publicly, overtly, over the top league with each one of them. I won't say we thunk it through all the way, but we had the plan. Okay, beer-induced plan. All right, first, the execution. The first girl I go out with, and I apologize for using the term girl. I'm using the vernacular of the era to explain how how close we were. So clearly, we went to this uh, after graduations uh, get-together. A lot of the units, when their units graduate, trainees were drill sergeants they like to have a get big get together where everybody's there there's some alcohol there's food etc etc so we go out to this get together together this is good because everybody gets to see us together you know in public my girl probably never ever wore a pair of heels in her life so she decided she was gonna try them out this day at the barbecue you know she had problems walking in the grass. That alone created some unnecessary focus on our direction. Clearly, she ain't never wore no lipstick. She ain't need to wear no lipstick. She ain't want to wear no lipstick. But she decided, I'm going to go over the top. I'm going with the lipstick. And that smoky, smoky uh, uh, makeup with, with the smoky eye, she looked like a raccoon. I did my part, you know. I was as affectionate and as loving and as close as I thought that was appropriate. I got up and went to the bathroom. While I'm in the bathroom, I hear two guys talking. One guy says to another guy, hey, man, you see them two together? Do you believe that shit for a second? So I go back outside I say to my girl, hey, we're going to have to up our game. They're not buying that me and you a couple. I don't know what we're doing. So we decided to be more affectionate. She decided to straddle me a little bit over the top, way, way over the top, okay, 
but it was a power move. Okay. So she, so she made the power move, the slut move, I, not just slut shame, just the language of the times. Okay. She made the move. She straddled me, licked my face. Crazy, freaky, wonderful, amazing. We out of there. It don't take long. Military base is a small universe. People hear about that, but the seed has been sowed. Hmm. She freaky. That's why she don't date nobody. Okay. The next two dates. And I have to talk about them in the same time and this for this reason. Now, we know that this is fake. Okay. But the next two girls, they was in love with each other. Okay. They are a couple. We know this as friends. They also know me going out with each one of them is meaningless. That was the deal. We know this. It's both pretend. But each one of them, when I went out with them in public, decided to show up and create a damn scene. Like, why are you here? What is this? Why are you sitting in the booth, in the back, in the corner, in the dock? You know, you're taking this too far. They created a scene, both of them, twice at the NCO club. The positive part of that was when they had to explain what this was about, they both said, it's a love triangle. Yeah, really up my game. Really, 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 really up my status, you know, right here. Love triangle, okay? That is why they're not going out with nobody because they freaky like that, okay? So room, we're starting to get, get around the base, you know? I'm just a dirty dude. I'm just, I'm just doing things, but come on. You date one female drill sergeant, it's unusual. Two, three, people, pe- people going like this. Ray is amazing. The dude is the, the dude is amazing. So my status is starting to rise, but there are people still giving me the side eye. Fourth girl, <clears throat> we had the absolute most in common. I mean, <clears throat> we had the same attitude, the same tone. We had the same desire for drinks, sports, athleticism. I mean, we was t- I mean, we was boys. We was dudes. And, but nobody who looked at us thought that that was much of a relationship at all. You know, it was like we were so close. The thing was, we was also the ugliest couple in the world. You know, we, I, we looked at each other. Neither one of us, we didn't look good as a couple at all. So nobody really bought into that, you know. So, it didn't take long for around the base, different people, different contexts, different ways at different times saying things like this to me. Hey, uh, man to man, soldier to soldier, brother to brother, just between us, you're not really dating those damn women, are you? Come on, what's the truth? What the hell are the odds of you dating four female drill sergeants? What's what, 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 what really going on here? 
And my response would always be, hey, man, I just got it like that. I'm just, you know. But mostly people will respond with, like, bullshit, you know. And I get this message one day from the sergeant major. And he says to me, uh, the commander wants to see you in his office. And so I'm getting ready for that. But before I go in, he stops me and say, but listen, before you see the commander, listen, I've heard about what you've been doing. Okay. Why don't you do yourself a favor? Okay. And help us get these freaks out of the army and do your damn self a favor and tell us what's really going on because you're not fooling anybody. I said, Sergeant Major, I'm not doing any of that. I'll just see the commander. So I go in to see the commander and he says, Drill Sergeant, I want to talk to you about your personal conduct and your personal behavior. It's been said that you've been out having some public relationships with women, drill sergeants, female soldiers and NCOs on the base in public. You've uh, created some public spectacles. You have been involved in some uh, relationships with multiple people in a public setting. You are an absolute disgrace to yourself, your organization, and the United States military. And I am considering recommending you for a court martial for your behavior. I said, sir. And he says, uh, but before we get this far, and he closes us with all my paperwork, and he says, why don't you do yourself a favor? No one believes that you're actually dating these women. It is more likely you're trying to cover for some homosexuals that should otherwise be discharged. Do yourself a favor, do the mirror and do the right thing and tell the truth. Now, Drill Sergeant Christian, why are you dating these women? I said, sir, because I love them. He said, bullshit, get your ass out of here. Now, ultimately, they kept putting pressure on me, but I didn't cave. And all the charges they were threatening me about were thrown out. Can I trust you with my secrets? Will you trust me with yours? That's my measure of friendship today. Thank you. I I am still reeling from Ray's story. Thank you for that, Ray. And to all of our storytellers, thank you. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us. If you've got a moment, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and subscribe now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any podcast platform you like. Janet Ann recorded her story on Zoom in August 2020, Archie Jamjohn in November 2020, and Ray Christian in January 2021. 
Outspoken was hosted on Zoom by Kim L. Hunt and David Fink. Curated by Archie Jamjohn. Artistic director, David Fink. Stage manager, Brad Bailoff. Audiovisual tech, Brian Smith. Podcast producer, Devlin Camp. That's me. Hi. And if you like the history segments on this show, check out my Queer History podcast. It's called Queer Serial, Serial with an S, and you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the serialized story of queer liberation in America from the beginning to Stonewall. And happy Pride! You can listen to the Stonewall Riots moment by moment in next week's new episode. Outspoken takes place the first Tuesday of every month at Sidetrack and is audio recorded in front of a live audience. Sidetrack is dedicated to providing entertainment and hospitality and a respectful, safe, and inclusive space for the LGBTQIA community. Find more at SidetrackChicago.com. You can find more information about Outspoken at SidetrackChicago.com slash OutspokenChicago. Music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0. Thank you for listening. Bye.